0: Nadine Grzyzkoliak, R N B S N C E N, is an international authority on celiac disease and gluten intolerance. Would you like to know how this amazing nurse created an extremely successful entrepreneurial career as an author, speaker, consultant, and expert? Let's dig into an awesome interview with Nadine right here on episode 193 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to the Nurse Keith Show. I am so grateful you're listening, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me for months or years. Thanks for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is, as always, about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, inspiration, and ideas that can get you moving in a positive and inspired direction. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can follow along at nursekeith.com. Episode 193 So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Nadine is a nurse specializing in celiac disease. She's an expert, consultant, speaker, author, podcaster, and research enthusiast. After 15 years of nursing experience in emergency, trauma, and critical care, Nadine founded three successful independent nurse-owned operated businesses, RN On Call Incorporated, the Gluten-Free RN, and Celiac Nurse Consulting that was founded in February 2007. She's delivered numerous lectures and seminars internationally, consults with individuals and families, has written Doe Nation, a nurse's memoir of celiac disease from misdiagnosis to food and health activism, and she leads international gluten-free and paleo travel groups. We're going to talk about that. Nadine enjoys spending time with her family, friends, knitting, hiking, mountain climbing, reading, cooking, and eating excellent meals, and traveling all over the world. Nadine Grishkowiak, my dear friend, welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. Thank you, Keith. It's exciting to be here. Oh, it's so nice to have you here. And you know, Nadine, you and I have known each other quite some time now, and you've been on Mm -hmm. several of my other podcasts over the years, RNFM Radio, you know, and You do amazing work in the world. And why don't we start with how your nursing career just writ large happened? Like, How did you fall into nursing?
1: Oh, nursing. (laughs) Well, I grew up on the East Coast in Buffalo. And interestingly enough, my high school was connected to a hospital, which was connected to a nursing school. So The hospital was actually the hospital I was born at. I went to the high school there, and then I had to decide if I was going to go to the nursing school there, too. And interestingly enough, I decided to not go to the nursing school there, but go to the nursing school out in Oregon, which was a much better choice. Oh, So, yeah. So I went to nursing school in Oregon and always knew that I didn't want to be doing floor nursing uh, that I was much more called to do emergency and trauma and critical care. So I kind of pushed my way in (laughs) to the emergency department and was pretty tenacious about getting in there and loved every minute of working in the emergency department for the most part.
0: Okay, and then did e r become like your go to for a long time, or was did you move on to something else? I can't remember oh
1: no, I only worked when I worked in the hospitals. I only did emergency and trauma, and I ended up working as an agency nurse, so I worked in approximately fifty percent of the hospitals around the state of Oregon in emergency only That was my specialty,
0: wow, and then. Did you continue to do ER work, like urgent care and emergency room work, when you founded your different businesses, like RN on call and all the other stuff you do?
1: Well, for the first year, since I really had no idea what I was doing starting businesses, I did- I know the (laughs) feeling. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a thing. They do not send us to business school as nurses. It's actually the antithesis of that. So true. So. There's no preparation as a nurse, as a business person. So I ended up working in the emergency department until December 2007, which was about nine months after I started my first, you know, the RNN call and then added the gluten-free RN.
0: I see. So RNN call was, was that doing private duty?
1: Yes.
0: Nurse Nursing so, or nurse coaching or what was that?
1: No, that's private, private nursing. So I would oh. come in and do manage people's health care. I would do, and I still do this. I still go in and am a healthcare care advocate. I take people to their doctor's appointments. I manage their health care, which can entail everything. Yeah. As far as, you know, if some people don't have families or their families don't live locally. So I literally manage everything for them or, I just, you know, I can augment hospice care. I do end of life care, uh, all kinds of things, which has been fascinating. But that's another business.
0: And I assume they just pay you cash.
1: Yeah, it's private pay. So it is cash check.
0: Cash check. Yeah. Cash check or (laughs) credit card. That's cool. So you nurses live out there who are listening. If you're looking for a side hustle, there are plenty of nurses out there who've started Small and not so small coaching and consulting and basically doing private duty home health on a certain level or case management or care management. So Nadine, you're kind of on the cutting edge of that.
1: I think. So. I really think so. I yeah. I saw the need. I just didn't know that other people were doing it. I guess, and I think still a lot of people are not doing it. The way I do it, which is basically I work for my clients and their families. So yeah. I become whatever they need.
0: Mm-hmm. And does your, just since we're talking about this and some of the nurses out there listening might be like, okay, so how does this work for liability? So do you need to have a rider on your mm-hmm. your liability insurance for private duty care or does it cover you for anything that happens?
1: my insurance covers everything and it's really not that expensive i think it's very worthwhile and i've never had an issue where i've had to utilize it thank goodness knock on wood Mm-hmm. And it's. I it's just, just did. <laughs> I did too, and it's just a a nice insurance policy, literally, and it's really not that expensive. I know a lot of nurses. I've heard over the years say, "Well, I couldn't do it because the insurance is so expensive." That's just not the case.
0: Yeah, it's usually not that bad. And do you what company do you use? Ooh,
1: NPSO or the uh, ONA.
0: Okay, NPSO is what?
1: Oh, wait a second. I have to write it out.
0: I use NSO, Nurses Service Organization.
1: It's either NSO. I think they're all connected in a way. Mm-hmm. And it just depends on which paper I pull out. There's uh, ONA is on some of the... NSO is on some, it's all connected.
0: I see. So for those of you out there, if you're listening and you feel like you might want to do this sort of thing, you just have to make sure you cover your bases and do your due diligence (laughs) and make sure your liability insurance will cover for the things that you're doing. And you always want to work within your scope of practice, right, Nadine?
1: Absolutely. And be very, very aware of what your scope of practice is. And, you know, as a professional speaker, I have a rider on my insurance company or my insurance policy, which will actually cover me as a speaker. So you do want to find out what the other little things that you need to cover yourself are for your insurance company. And they'll tell you whether you need a special little rider for that or an umbrella policy or something.
0: Now, wait a second. I speak on stage too, like you do. Do you mean it covers you like if you hit your nose with the microphone and you break your nose or you fall off Uh, the stage? Or is this for people feeling that what you said was not quite right and they sue you?
1: (laughs) I guess that's pretty much what it covers, like anything I say. So it's just, it's like $25 and it covers any type of liability that might come from speaking.
0: Yeah. And the thing is you speak about like clinical things, like you talk about research, gluten, gluten food choices. So your stuff is super clinical. I talk about resumes and emotional intelligence and stuff like that. So I don't (laughs) think anyone's going to sue me because you said to capitalize my, my subheadings on my resume (laughs) and I'm going to sue you, but you never know. Right. But for you, Mm -hmm. you're talking about like stuff that's going to directly impact somebody's health, right? Yeah.
1: Well, hopefully generally, and I don't, yeah, I, I, you know, I do consultations to individuals and family consultations, so it covers all of that. But I, you know, I could potentially say something that makes somebody angry, mm-hmm. or that you know, if somebody feels a different way about the nutritional advice I'm giving people, especially dietitians, um, yeah, get a little. I don't, I want to say like territorial sometimes about nurses talking about uh, nutritional issues. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always a potential, I guess, of something happening with what I say, which is fine.
0: issue. Yeah. So speaking of gluten, let's dive into the world of wheat and gluten. (laughs) Er. So I know your story and some of the listeners might know your story, but- can you give us the reader's digest view or the cliff notes view of sure how you got to be this expert like was it from personal experience and how did it all come about
1: So the short abbreviated version some of it's in in my book also in in mm-hmm. donation but basically I ended up with pneumonia in January 2 2003 And I worked in the emergency department and I thought I was super healthy and that I could eat anything. And I had iron intestines and, you know, I'm from Buffalo. so, um, (laughs) And I'm Polish, so everything is pretty good, right? Well, that pneumonia actually kicked me into my body failing over the next four years. So I ended up with multi-system organ failure and nobody knew what was wrong with me. And I saw multiple doctors and lots of testing and all those very unpleasant things, especially when you're a nurse. Mm. And in October, 2006, I just had sinus surgery, which I didn't need at the time and it didn't make me better. But I also got diagnosed quite by accident with celiac disease and dermatitis herpetiformis by a dermatologist. But my blood test and my skin biopsy were negative. So they told me, well, you know, they thought I had it, but I didn't. And so at that point, it it was still looking like I was making all of my multi-system organ failure up, including, you know, four plus pitting edema and my lymph nodes being swollen and whatnot. So, Despite the negative blood test and skin biopsy, I stayed on a gluten-free diet. And within four months of being on a gluten-free diet, I was so much better that I <laughs> I had the bandwidth at that point to start the RNN call. And the following month, I was so horrified by what I found out about celiac disease and Gluten sensitivity and everything else Uh that I started the gluten-free RN, I realized I'd been duped my entire life about what food is and what, Uh you know, the potential for damage, bodily damage from certain foods to certain people. And, you know, even though my doctor said that it was incredibly rare and she'd never diagnosed it before, um, I found out it's not rare and people just were not getting diagnosed with it. They were getting diagnosed with many, many, many other things.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. So. We can go deep into this. And I'm looking at your book now. It's right here on my desk. Uh, Donation, D-O-U-G-H, Donation, yes. A Nurse's Memoir of Celiac Disease from Misdiagnosis to Food and Health Activism. It's signed by the author. So Yay. awesome. And it was published <laughs> in 2015. And I know you have another book you're working on. Yes. But this I'll just tell the people listening that this is an awesome book. It gives you a lot of actually quite detailed medical and health related information. It's not just your story, though the story's there and the science is there. And kind of like the political, not like yes. not political parties, but I mean the political aspects of this whole gluten thing within the healthcare system writ large. So some people might listen to this and say, well, <laughs> this whole gluten thing's just a fad, just like low fat diets and just like um, you know, Counting your carbs and all that kind of stuff. So, what would you say to people who say, "Ah, this gluten thing is just a fad"?
1: Well, I would say a number
0: of things. <laughs> okay, say, I would say another. Say, say a few things, favorite. Nadine.
1: Um, read my book, but also I encourage people to get tested. <laughs> yeah. Before they actually want to discuss or debate it with me, I see because in 2004 the NIH or the National Institute of Health actually had a consensus meeting and they decided that they they talked about doing a mass screening in America mm-hmm. of all the entire population but they opted not to do it because they said it wouldn't be cost effective and at the same time they talked about doing a healthcare education program for healthcare providers and they didn't do that either oh my okay. i know this was in 2004, mind you.
0: Two really important things they could have done.
1: They could have done that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what
0: happened instead? What happened instead of that?
1: Instead, believe it or not, I know you'll be shocked about this. They've been trying to come up with a pill. Of course. For essentially. Yeah. yeah. So a non-dietary treatment plan for something that is only a dietary change, which requires removing gluten. And for some, a lot of people, removing dairy also. Mm-hmm. and. hmm Very frequently, people will get initially very threatened by that. I will say a lot of people like touch my food, touch my tape, don't take away my beer or my pizza. Yeah, it's a
0: big deal. Yeah,
1: it is a big deal. But they're also addictive. And once you realize that and once you approach it as an addiction Mm -hmm. and people can begin to detox or really remove it from their diet, you know, even by an elimination diet, whatever you want to call it, once you remove it from your diet, you realize, oh my gosh, it is addictive. I did crave it. That's why, (laughs) you know, so really we have to, I have to approach people where they're at when I'm talking about it. Even doctors or nurses or anybody, they really get quite passionate about keeping their beer and their pizza and their wheat and their dairy in their diet. Mm-hmm. But once you begin to understand that it's perhaps causing a lot of the health issues that people are suffering from, then you begin to realize that, oh, it is real. You know, in in Italy, it takes two to three weeks to get diagnosed correctly with celiac disease. But here in the United States, it takes on average of nine to 15 years. And in the meantime, people get diagnosed with a lot of other things that are not
0: correct. Like a mental illness. <laughs>
1: like a mental illness,
0: yes. So, okay. So a couple things to unpack here. One, there's celiac disease. When, and many of us have known people with celiac disease. And now some people listening know you. You're a person with actual celiac disease. Now, for someone who doesn't have diagnosable celiac, but they're gluten intolerant, that there's a difference, right?
1: Mm, that'll be the second book. Ah, that's we're the second pull book. Pull all of that apart, okay, and put it back together the way it should have been done.
0: Okay, okay. But, um, can you give us a little hint?
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so celiac disease at this point requires that you are a gene carrier for DQ2 and or DQ8. Those are two very common genes, and right. because celiac disease is Typically considered to be rare, nobody looks for it, right? But the interesting thing, one of the interesting things, is that 30 to 50% of the population carry these genes. So they're very common. But how would you know? You would have to have a gene test. So uh-huh. the celiac disease and non celiac disease, non celiac gluten sensitivity are pretty much the defining factors whether you carry those genes or not. And also whether you have a biopsy or not. A lot of people do not have a biopsy to prove they have celiac disease, which as far as I'm concerned is okay. Mm-hmm. I have never had a biopsy confirmed celiac test, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I am also, I also know that I'm a DQ 2.5 gene carrier, which pretty much guarantees that I'm going to have celiac disease because I got those genes from each parent.
0: I see. Nice of them to share. I mean, you know, know. man, thanks parents.
1: Well, that's a, it's okay. It's, I wish I would have known or wish they would have known. Yeah. But you know, I guess that's not a possibility. So we do have to just move forward with our information.
0: Right. Okay. All right. So there's more to unpack here. And I know the second book is, what's the name of the new book? What's it going to be called? We
1: don't actually have a name for it yet. Ah,
0: the mystery book about celiac and gluten. So coming to you when in 2020?
1: (laughs) Yeah. That is is most likely um, late 2019 or early 2020. All
0: right. And then I'll probably just have you back on the show and we'll just dig into that book. Ooh, Uh, that'll be a good one. When that comes out. So what we're going to do now... Is take a pause for the cause and just have a little brief break. When we come back from the break, I want to dig into a little bit about Italy because you've done some consulting and speaking there. And I want to know what's going on with celiac and gluten in Italy. And then speaking of Italy, I also want to talk about and tell listeners about the ways that you take people on gluten-free and paleo travel trips around the world to really beautiful places. So we will be right back after the break and have a little bit more for you of Nadine Grishkowiak, the Gluten-Free RN. Woohoo! So now we're going to take a pause for the cause just for a moment. I want to ask you to consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value The Nurse Keith Show so much that they dig into their wallets and give a tiny little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge... You not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty cool gifts and premiums straight from little old me. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. And you can head to nursekeith.com to sign up for my awesome bi-weekly newsletter. And if you could leave a rating and review of the Nurse Keith show on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Facebook or on the wall, the bathroom in your local cafe, that would be awesome. So those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So we're going to jump right back into the studio where Nadine is waiting and we will finish up this wonderful interview. So Nadine, we are back and let's travel around the world and well, not literally yet. I know you and your boyfriend do all the time, but let's travel over to Italy. What is going on in Italy about celiac and gluten? Can you give us a clue on what's what they're up to over there?
1: Sure. There are a lot of great research articles that come out of Italy. Dr. Catazzi and Dr. Fasano, who is originally from Italy- There's a lot of information about celiac disease from Italy. Now, most people think that Italy is, you know, the land of pasta and whatnot. But it's actually interesting that if you serve food to anybody, it is illegal not to have safe gluten-free food available for those people. So it's relatively easy if you have celiac disease or are avoiding gluten to eat gluten-free safely
0: in Italy. That seems that seems almost impossible, thinking it's, about the land of pasta. Now, when, when they're legislated, basically there's a law that you have to have a gluten-free option. Does that yes. mean they just have to have a salad or do they have to have gluten-free pasta?
1: That's a good question. I believe they have to have something that is completely safe. And most places that I am aware of have safe gluten-free pasta, gluten-free pasta, and other options such as bread and whatnot. Now, wow. you know, the quality of things change, I'm sure, as far as is it tasty or is it is it close to the pasta that people are
0: mm-hmm. used
1: to? And everybody that I know that has traveled to Italy has had a very easy time eating gluten-free.
0: Wow. It seems like the worst place to go if you're gluten <laughs> <laughs> but well, but actually it's, actually it's not actually it's not and I mean I made gosh I made brown rice pasta with tofu and kale chips just last night
1: oh that sounds yummy
0: so there you go I mean I don't I'm kind of gluten light like I have a little bit of gluten here and there so I, I eat a tiny tiny little bit but it sounds like Italy is a place that's kind of on the cutting edge and they've been eating pasta you know since time immemorial so do you think the amount <laughs> right. of pasta they've consumed collectively over the last 1000 years has impacted their sensitivity to gluten
1: well um probably not
0: okay so it's not julius caesar's fault or anything no okay
1: it's just the fact that the protein is there to begin with i see like as human beings we do not have any enzymes to break down that protein to small enough amino acids that we can actually absorb them and use them as nutrients or mm-hmm. anything else. So, those long chain amino acids either pass through and don't cause any damage, or at some point there's a trigger event that then leads to intestinal damage or at the very least inflammation I see. of the intestinal wall.
0: I see. Okay. So, but it still sounds like Italy is way far ahead of a lot of other countries in general.
1: So, yeah, Italy, Finland, Australia. All right. Those are those are the countries that really have it down at this point.
0: Great. All right. So for you celiacs and gluten intolerant people, those are some great places to go on vacation and I'm sure Nadine would be willing to share some secrets with you if you reached of out course. to her. And you can go to it's is it's the glutenfreern.com, right? Nope. It's just free. No, errand. just RN.com. All the links to all of Nadine's stuff and yes. a picture of her book cover and her lovely headshot will be at the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 193. So what I want to do now is from Italy, let's go to you taking people on gluten-free and paleo travel, yes. travel groups around the world. So how did that happen? Where have you gone? And tell us a little bit about the adventures that you and other people have had.
1: So we've done two groups on the Danube. So river cruises mm-hmm. through Amway river cruise. And we're going to do the Rhine this year coming up. Ooh. And I know, so this one goes from Basel to Amsterdam Lovely. and we're doing it in August. And the reason we're doing this one in August is because it precedes the International Celiac Disease Symposium conference in Paris. Ah. And I know. September fourth through seventh. So <laughs> yes. So some of us will fly from Amsterdam or take the train to Paris and attend the conference. So Paris is not necessarily a safe, gluten-free city. Mm-hmm. So it should be interesting.
0: I see. And we all go to whenever I've been to France, I'm like, okay, baguettes, croissants, you know, all mm-hmm. that stuff. You know, and I have a fun. I have a very quick, funny story. My wife and son and I were traveling. The year I think the year I graduated from nursing school, ninety six. We were traveling around Europe, and we caught a train, overnight train from Paris to Amsterdam. And always book your seat in advance, folks, because we ended up standing most of the time. My son was twelve, and he he slept in the overhead luggage bin. So. You know, make sure you plan in advance when you're doing some of these long Good to legs. Know. Yeah, or you can sleep in the overhead luggage rack. You got to be pretty skinny. <laughs> yeah, not very comfortable. He he can sleep anywhere, and he's 35 and still can. Wow. Yeah. And he's gluten free himself, so he's actually allergic to yeast. Like he's actually has a yeast allergy as well which is very Ooh, interesting. Yeah.
1: It is interesting.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that offline sometime. So okay. you t- you're taking people to the Rhine, you've done the Danube. Have you done the other countries? you mentioned Australia and Finland are very gluten gluten friendly or gluten-free friendly. So have you taken groups to those countries? Not yet. Not yet. Okay.
1: But we are going to Tahiti in July. Damn. So that's another I know. <laughs> Tahiti (laughs) and the Society Islands. And that'll be a great trip if anybody really wants to go to Tahiti (laughs) with me. And I'm overseeing making sure that everybody that is with our group that wants to be gluten-free or has to be Mm gluten-free that the food is safe. I'll work with the chefs and all the server people are educated before we go so that everything is taken care of and people don't have to worry.
0: Now, did you have to take a trip to Tahiti to do advanced research? I know it's a tough thing to have yet. to do. <laughs> Are you gonna do advanced research?
1: I'm I'm talking to the this particular cruise line uh-huh. ahead of time. But interestingly enough, the Amaway company actually sent some of their executives to Portland to meet with me before we even did the Danube the first Danube trip in
0: twenty thirteen. Wow. So th-
1: I know, they were very educated.
0: Awesome, that is great. So you're working with a cruise company who's really into like like accommodating you and your, your people.
1: Right, because there's a lot of
0: us. That is fantastic.
1: I agree. Wow,
0: so tell us a little bit about, you know, being a nurse entrepreneur, breaking out on your own. Do you work clinically anymore, like in a hospital or a, you know, mainstream kind of clinical setting. And what's it like being your own boss? What do you think of this whole process that you've been engaged in?
1: (laughs) Well, there's a whole other book in there, that's for sure. But as far as the learning process and whatnot, I have not worked in a hospital since December 2007, mm-hmm. nor have I worked in any other clinical job where anybody pays me a paycheck. <laughs> so I, it's all up to me at this point. And so it's been interesting. It Sometimes business waxes and wanes and I have to make sure that I have, you know, money in the bank kind of thing. And it's all on me. I've had employees in the past. It's been pretty much all over the board as a business owner. I would not trade it for anything, you know, Mm -hmm. just having control over my time and for the most part and being able to have a schedule that I make Mm -hmm. is incredible because I do like to travel and I do want to make sure that I have um, a lot of ability to to frame my own time.
0: Right. That's what I enjoy about being an entrepreneur. I've been not working clinically at all for, it's only been two years and several months. So you've been doing it much longer than me, 12 years. But having, I call myself a pajamapreneur because almost everything I do, I can do in my pajamas sitting here in my house. Um, okay. Unless I go out to speak at a conference, like I'm going to Atlanta in May. And um, I don't wear pajamas when I speak on stage. Though I could okay, be good. I, I could be wearing them now. You just you just don't know. So that's true. Um, but I love being a pajama preneur. And I'm sure some of what you do could be done in your pajamas because you work at home a fair amount, right? Writing and the stuff you do at home.
1: Right. Yeah. I try always to get dressed though. I do.
0: That's nice. Makes <laughs> I you try feel, to get ready for my day. Makes you feel more alive. I know Kevin Ross from R and FM. He used to say he he just has to get dressed and shower and feel like he's at work, you know. And I'm I'm cool just like rolling out of bed, you know, eating breakfast, brushing my teeth and working <laughs> without changing That's my pretty clothes. good.
1: I like that. Yeah. And if That's I have a call, camera. a
0: Zoom call or something, I can put on a nice shirt. But anyway, we digress. Intellectual <laughs> digress. So a question I have for you then is in the health coaching world and where nurses are making quite a splash and in entering into health coaching, either through the International Nurse Coaching Association, which I recommend, or any other training that can get you you know, to be a certified coach, though certification is not regulated or necessary, the word out there on the street is that if you are a nurse consultant or coach or whatever that the word is that you can only coach people who live in the state where you live and work and are licensed or in other states where you also hold a license. So what would you say to people who have that fear? It's like, oh God, I can't work across state lines consulting with people because that goes against my licensing and the whole, you know, this whole idea of not going beyond your scope of practice into another state where the nurse practice act is different. so what do you what do you think about that whole paradigm, which definitely needs to change?
1: Yes, it does need to change. We don't live in the horse and buggy days anymore. And of course, I want people to practice it within their scope of practice, you know according to the rules of their their state but that all needs to change dramatically because it just doesn't work anymore. It's it's we're all connected.
0: Yeah, and so how can people, you run a business from your home as a coach and only work with people who live in your state? I mean, that's such a limited audience.
1: Right. And your and our audiences are pretty much worldwide at this point and our, you know, the people that want to connect with us are worldwide. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Especially when you, you know, like you and I have podcasts and we reach nurses and other people, you know, the general public internationally. I have people that listen in Russia.
0: Me too. Yeah. China, Russia, Egypt. Yeah. Why they're listening, I have no idea why they're listening to me, but, you know, (laughs) so what do you think of this whole idea that, that you can't give anyone any health advice whatsoever if they don't live in the state where you're licensed?
1: That's ridiculous. Right. Number one, it's it's just it doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. Yeah, so there there is an issue here. Obviously, you work, you just do what you do, and I know other nurse coaches who also coach people across state lines and they're like, "Well, I'm doing what I do. I document the crap out of it, and that's what I do." So, I haven't heard of anyone getting in trouble with any body of any kind saying this is not okay we're gonna take you to court or put you in jail who knows i mean we'll see how that happens but it's a it's a thing this is definitely a thing right now and none of us are terribly happy about it
1: right i and i know this is very frequently a topic of conversation and we have desperate people you know desperate people need help and if there's no one in their state of you know Kansas or Oklahoma to help them. Anybody that knows anything about like celiac disease or gluten intolerance or whatever, then mm-hmm. they have to reach out.
0: Right. And they can read books and stuff, but sometimes you need to speak to an expert like you. And right. I, know, I know you're not casting aspersions on Kansas and Oklahoma. They're wonderful no, places. No, no, no. But we're just saying that in certain parts of the country, you're not going to find the people that you need. Like here in New Mexico, we have a not a very robust healthcare system. So we right. often have to look beyond the boundaries of New Mexico to find what we need even if our health insurance won't cover it. So, and that's just New Mexico because it's a little backwards in certain ways.
1: And I only said Kansas and Oklahoma because that's where most recently I've heard from people. Interesting. I know. Wow. So, so
0: so we need to reach people where they are and Exactly. How do you reach people like you've had a podcast which has been on hold for a little while. I know it's going to come back again. Um, Mm -hmm. How else do people find you and where are you located? Like what, where do they interact with you?
1: Well, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and also that podcast, even though I haven't recorded anything since July, people Mm -hmm. have continued to find that podcast and listen to it repeatedly. And that's the interesting thing about that podcast is that, Once people go through and they listen to all seventy three episodes of it Uh or seventy four, they go back and they listen to other ones because they like to either go back and look at the research along with listening to the podcast because I always include research articles or whatnot with it, Uh or they found something that you know they might have missed something. So anyway, people have found those podcasts to be extremely valuable. Absolutely, it's
0: it's
1: a way that people find out about what I do.
0: Yeah, like episode 74 was a nurse's story of celiac disease yes. from 1953. Three. Then you have Yes. you have episode 72 African Americans and celiac disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, eosinophilic esophagitis, episode 69, blood disorders, indigenous populations. So people you can dig pretty deep on this On your website and here. And I also want to say that when you go to the glutenfreeRN.com, you can read all about the Tahiti and Society Islands trip, which is, starts July twentieth, twenty nineteen. You can read about the Rhine River with the gluten free RN in August twenty nineteen. So you're going to be traveling a lot this summer. Yes. And you know, there's paleo indulgence reviews here. There's a gluten free dog. <laughs> there's I well, mean, y- yep. There's some amazing stuff here. Amazing resources.
1: Yes. we're Well, I, you know, there's so much content. I have so much information on all these different topics. We even just talked about pets again this morning, you know, how dogs are not supposed to eat grains. They don't get excited when they, you know, come across a wheat field and no. they're not trying to leap over the fences to get in. Dogs and cats are not meant to eat grains. So when they go back to a more paleo diet, guess what? Their skin clears up, they get healthier, they don't have hip Issues and inflammation, so you know. But that's the number one question a vet will ask a person: is What are you feeding your dog?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: People do not get asked that question, and or advised about what to eat.
0: Right. The grain free food for pets is definitely on the rise, and my my cat has never had grains the whole time we've had him, and. Yeah, he doesn't even get poultry anymore because he has a little poultry allergy. But you know, there's there's plenty out there, and you have to advocate for yourself, like you did. Correct. You almost died, so you kind of had to. And people find you at glutenfreern.com. You're on you're on LinkedIn, glutenfreern. rn. Yes. Oh
1: yes, yeah. LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, it's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash glutenfreeRN. Then there's glutenfreeRN on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. I'm looking at all, all of these You're right. So tons of stuff out there and the new book is coming and we'll talk about that another time when it's out or it's almost out and people who want to chat with you, just reach out to you. What uh-huh. what should they do if they they're like, I just want to pick Nadine's brain or or ask her about something? How There's can the they find you?
1: Nadine at glutenfreeRN.com is my email. And believe it or not, I have a lot of nurses that are coming across the same type of life situation where they find out they have celiac disease or you know, gluten Ooh. isn't their friend. And they want to start the same type of business or they are interested in finding out what else they can do as nurses to help people. A lot of nurses actually are finding that it's difficult to work in a hospital situation anymore because once you have that paradigm shift of what food is and what illness is and disease and prevention, then it's hard to stay in the same framework of right. the traditional medical system.
0: Exactly. exactly.
1: So nurses do reach out to me and they, you know, I'm having a couple meetings with nurses here in my local area about what their options and opportunities are. And actually nurses across the country, there's some really I've had great conversations with many nurses in New York, Vermont, all over the United States about what what's possible.
0: Wonderful. And you're in Oregon. Correct. Yeah, and you're in Eugene.
1: I'm in Salem. Salem My office is in Corvallis.
0: Right. Corvallis so. in right. Salem, right. And I know you were speaking at the Oregon Holistic Nurse Association conference Correct. at Brighton Bush Hot Springs this year, right?
1: Yeah, that was great.
0: Yeah, I've been to that conference that. too. A lot of naked nurses sitting around in hot springs, which is really fun. <laughs>
1: Very happy too. Yeah,
0: very happy naked nurses. So it's, yeah, that's a really fun conference. It's quite small and intimate. They're very sweet people at the OHNA, Oregon Holistic Nurse Association, which is completely separate from the American Holistic Nurse Association. So you get around, (laughs) you get around a lot. And um, I always love seeing you. We saw each other at the NNBA this past fall, and that was lovely to see you. And we have to always find time to be together, and Absolutely. you are just wonderful, and we're going to have you back on the Nurse Keith Show. I'm just getting Thank started you. on these interviews. You're the second one after Renee Thompson, so we're going to be doing several interviews a month, most I months. love Renee.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: We all love Renee. There's nothing not to love about Renee Thompson and about Nadine Grishkoyak.
1: And about Keith. It's true. We all love each other. You say that to all
0: your (laughs) podcast hosts. Anyway. um, No, we don't. That's not
1: true. The only thing is, is if a nurse or a facility or anybody wants me to come speak, they just have to contact me because I do travel quite a bit. So if this is a topic that hospitals and clinics and doctor's offices should be exploring. And if they'd like me to come speak as a professional, as a celiac specialist, I'm more than happy to do that.
0: Great. So it's Nadine at glutenfreeRN.com or just go to glutenfreeRN.com into the contact page and fill out the contact. There you go. Nadine will get in touch. Well, Nadine, thank you so much. Thank you. um, You are just wonderful. And we will definitely have you back. Thank you, Keith. Sure. Folks, there you have it. Thank you for listening to episode 193 of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 193. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and maybe a little gluten free from this episode. And I want you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your professional satisfaction and career development. The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell of the Podcasting and his wonderful team. And social media and promotion are handled by the equally wonderful Mark Capispe. Stay positive, care for yourself and others, take inspired action in the interest of your life and career, and tune in again as we explore how to take your life and nursing career to the next level. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, and keep in touch. And adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico.